0: Hello everybody and welcome back to the podcast. You are here with me today, as usual, uh, with Ben and Chris. We are both uh, GB international foilists and we are also coach and student. Chris, how are you doing? I'm very well, how are you doing Ben? I'm good, I'm good. And today we're actually here with two guests. So we have Maria Guriup from British Fencing and she's a physiotherapist. And we are here with Sonia Fierro from British Fencing who is our sports therapist. How you doing, ladies? You okay?
1: Hey, yeah, uh, doing well, thanks.
0: Good, good. Hi,
2: yeah, uh, all good.
0: Good. So this is the first time we've had two guests on. We've got lots of information we're going to run by you today.
3: As somebody that's not really at the Leon Paul Centre as much as people like Ben, you know, I go probably once a week and the rest of my fencing is done kind of in the evenings. Uh, my training's done throughout the day, um, partly because I, I, I work as a freelancer part-time and also partly because I'm a parent, it means that I can just, divide up my time a bit more. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves and kind of what your involvement in fencing is.
1: Maria, I'm the physiotherapist for the senior British fencing teams um, and I also work with athletes on the development pathway. That's kind of my main role with British fencing and then alongside that I run the sports rehab clinic which is at the Leon Paul Centre in London. Um, and I'm usually here throughout the week I was lucky enough to be offered to take over the treatment room that was here um, and I jumped with that with all of my heart (laughs) so (laughs) I feel really lucky to be here and to be able to see a big range of fencing athletes from you know junior level who maybe are trying to get onto the program to those who Our senior and I follow around the world trying to um, keep them in the competitions. So,
2: yeah, really love it. And hi, this is Tanya. So, I started last year um, getting involved with fencing, and my role is uh, um, essentially um, a support role to Maria when we are at Leon Paul Center, um, as well as uh, um, being following mainly the uh, senior Sabre team. Uh, competition throughout this season. Uh, In my spare time, (laughs) I also (laughs) run my own clinic. Um, I'm a corner of a um, functional fitness gym down in Elephant and Castle in London. So I have my clinic um, at the gym. I see a broad range of athletes uh, um, from different sports. uh, So I'm not as focused on fencing um, like Maria. Uh, And then I train. I'm an athlete as well. (laughs)
0: And it's CrossFit, right? And that's how you both kind of know each other, through the CrossFit circuit a little bit. Is that right?
2: We do know each other through the CrossFit um, circuit. Uh, it's a little bit of a hot topic at the moment with what's going on in CrossFit and gyms. Uh, <laughs> um, but I actually compete in powerlifting.
3: Wow, that's amazing. Well, I, I want to come back to that. But first of all, I have a very important question to ask. What is CrossFit? Because it's a real buzzword <laughs> and lots of people talk about it, but I'm not entirely sure I know what it is.
1: Thank I think I'll leave that to Sonia. <laughs> oh my god.
0: <laughs> That's it, throw, throw her in there. <laughs>
2: um, CrossFit is uh, essentially um, functional fitness. Uh, is, uh, it sums up uh, a lot of different uh, specialties. Uh, and so you basically train uh, in a high intensity format. Uh, um, and you'll be doing resistance training, you'll be doing cardiovascular training, gymnastics training. So it brings a lot of benefits from a lot of different sports. Let's leave it like that. <laughs>
0: is it, do you find with, with the idea of like powerlifting and say like CrossFit is a bit like the kind of banter that goes on between different weapons in fencing is kind of like, oh, well, sabers the best. Oh, no, well, Foil's the best. Is it a bit like that?
2: I think that is um, uh, maybe it's a little bit like that um, in between all the strength sports. So you'll have CrossFit that is more functional fitness and mixes different uh, type of sports. And then you have weightlifting, which is like the Olympic lifting. Uh, and then you have powerlifting, which is uh, three other lifts. Uh, and then you have people that do bodybuilding, and they are all considered a strength sports. but then they have a really different focus. But it's not the same sport. So it's kind of similar in some aspects, but also really different at the same time.
0: So as well as kind of working together, it's almost... Uh... It kind of ships in the night right so you know with Maria when you're uh, on task and, and, and you're there you're away with one squad uh, Maria's kind of looking after things at home and, and, and vice versa and obviously Sonia you're working with the Sabre team and Maria you're following the uh, the foil team so there's a kind of working relationship together but at the same time probably not seeing each other as much as you'd like because you are yeah. close friends as well.
1: Yeah definitely I think this has been one of the best things that have come out of this year is that we've been able to expand our therapy team within British Fencing um, which is really positive for the sport but also you know obviously for the athletes but also uh, for me as a therapist to be able to bring other people on board be able to share my knowledge but equally have the support of someone else with new knowledge a different eye in the sport um, and it really helps me build myself and build the whole therapy system within uh, British Fencing I was really lucky to have Sonia with me at the Turin foil GP this year so that was really great and although we don't necessarily see each other in competitions we're always on the phone to each other talking about the teams and the athletes how they're doing how we can
0: improve
1: Yeah, of course. (laughs) Definitely debriefs after competitions. You know, it can be quite stressful sometimes being the only therapist with a whole team of athletes. And we've been, again, really lucky this last year, having support of the likes of Johnny Davis as team manager Hmm. and, and all the coaches, of course. So actually... You know, it's nice to have those at the time, but to come back and be able to debrief with another therapist about, you know, things that we can be better at, things that might have, you know, things that we could have said, oh, we could have been better here to help this athlete in this part of the competition. What would you have done? I'll just say it's really positive to have another therapist to debrief with after those events. So, yeah, it's really great to have Sonia on board and you know, knowing her for a long time, we used to work together at international CrossFit competitions. Again, it's quite a high pressure environment. We're kind of running around, the athletes are the focus, but in the middle of all of that, when we get, you know, a five minute break, we're comparing and contrasting what we've been doing, but also just having someone to say, are you okay? (laughs) Like, (laughs) how's your energy levels? Do you need a coffee? Do you need to have like a walk outside? And that's always really useful from that kind of social support as well.
3: You've mentioned that you work with a lot of athletes i'm really interested to know kind of how many athletes you work with or kind of how you engage with them i suppose
1: you know the role has been changing over time and i'd say my main role at the moment has been supporting the athletes on the road to tokyo so that's been our main focus um and more recently a heavier focus on the likes of marcus mapstead with his qualification for tokyo we've built a team around him um, to try and really push his qualification and get him um, ready for Tokyo basically but there's also the other side at the moment we've been heavily involved in dealing with the Covid pandemic so that's required us to be um, you know a lot more general with return to fencing I've been doing a lot of protocols for helping athletes from club level junior level through to the ADP and then the senior athletes and helping them get back on track and then also we've got you know the athletes who are looking to go towards european zonals from all of the weapons so at the moment um <laughs> there's a lot of work going on <laughs> and a lot of engagement in lots of different groups on top of all of those we also have like the future the 2024 paris teams and athletes we're starting to bring into the mix and you know uh, working with them to develop programs for them going forward so in terms of at the moment and over the last year or so it's been really mixed Um, most likely Sonia and I are very engaging I would say as therapists Mm -hmm. and we like to keep in touch with athletes Um, it's how we do our jobs best and I think you know just checking in even if it's not always a physiotherapy directed uh, message just to make sure everyone's in the right headspace so yeah mainly weekly um engaging with athletes when we're at competitions obviously it's a lot more intense and pre-competition we'd be getting in touch um and spending a lot more time with athletes um but we we hope to be consistent um overall i think sonia would probably be similar what would you say
2: yeah i think uh, um of course you know at the moment things are are different because of covid and uh, maria has uh, has been keeping in touch with everybody, as well as developing new guidelines for return to fencing. So she's been a lot more involved uh, throughout the past season. I think it really depends on the period of the season as well. Um, So closer to competition, we will start getting in touch with athletes more uh, to be aware um, of what's going on, whether they're carrying um, any needles, because a lot of the athletes are based all around the world at the moment. For example, from like I was working with the saber team. Um, We had two athletes, uh, one in um, US, one in Germany, and then two athletes here in London. So it's really internationally based. We don't see them every day, um, especially for me, not being based at Lyon Paul. Um, So you start getting in touch um, a lot more. Um, With athletes before competitions you have that relationship at competition and it really depends on which competition it is It may be only a team of four on the Sabre team I know Maria uh, with foil tends to have more athletes with her competitions and then major championships uh, um, Like World Championships last year we were dealing with like 16 to 20, I think because it's the entire British team Um, So it really changes throughout the season.
3: Do you both tend to focus on one weapon over another then? Maria, you're kind of more foil-based and Sonia, you're more kind of sabre.
2: So what we've
1: developed, again, maybe in the last 18 months, I was pretty much leading all of the weapons. Unfortunately, some of it is based, is based heavily on funding and performance where our energy is directed. Um, and that's based off of, you know, UK sport. They'll give you money if you win stuff and if you don't, <laughs> They won't give you money and then we have to decide on where best our resources are. So especially with an 18 month window before an Olympics, that's where we really have to focus in and, and really target those athletes that we think are going to qualify. Um, but we've been really fortunate this year to be able to spread that across the weapons. But the main focus has been foil and sabre because they're currently are better performing teams um, on, you know, on the international stage. I've managed to get Sonia on board, which has been fantastic. If I could get a third therapist to work with Ethius, that would be, you know, awesome. But unfortunately, it's not, not how it is at the moment. Major championships I will tend to go. I went to UPNs last year. I had to sacrifice world championships um, for a physiotherapy placement in an NHS hospital. But I was so happy to be able to send Sonia, you know, as my second half. I felt really proud that she could go and she obviously did an amazing job. And for someone to just step into a lead role at a major championships in the year of Olympic qualification is just I'm I'm really proud of what she did there and Thank you. I hope she had a good time. <laughs> and yeah, I was just it's great to be able to have her be able to attend a major championships in my place but also I know that I can send her away with any team. At the moment she is directed more towards Sabre and I'm more involved with the foilists. It's just been a really positive year for that.
0: I think it's uh, it, it, it's important to say, um, from, certainly from my, my, my point of view, having worked closely with you both, that actually I know British Fencing and so the men's Four team, and I, I'm sure we'd echo what the men's saber team are saying, which is, you know, a huge thank you to all kind of the work you do. And I know that, Maria, you've been hugely supportive in this time during lockdown and still keeping in contact with the athletes. And I think people need to be aware quite, quite how demanding, you know, your lives are in terms of not only you're running your own kind of private clinics, uh, your own clubs, but at the same time, you know, you're not only looking after the athletes at home and doing all the paperwork that goes into, because I don't think many people are uh, quite aware of how much paperwork goes into uh, the the medical side of of of, of sport, um, but also you're running around the world with us. And, you know, Maria has the similar schedule to me in terms of going to every single World Cup and Grand Prix a, a, a around the world. And and same with Sonia. And, you know, I, I know that we had, um, as Maria mentioned, we, we were at... Uh, the, the European champs for, for for in Germany, and then suddenly we were shooting off to uh, I think it was uh, Budapest, and then Sonia came through on that. and so it's this this flitting around the world constantly and keeping in, in contact with the athletes and doing all the work at home. And so it's an exhaustive thing to be able to do to manage everything and obviously manage it in such an amazing way that you guys do. And, uh, and Sonia being thrown in the deep end, but I think your first event <laughs> with Men's Foil was in, uh, is in Shanghai. So thousands of miles yeah. away from home and being told when you're jet lagged that you've got to play UNO. Otherwise, you know, you're not. Uh, so, uh, but, yeah, fit, fit in beautifully. And,
3: and Otherwise, you're not bonding. You're, you're not doing team bonding. Exactly. Here. Exactly. You no, know, they're, they're
0: icebreakers. No one knows who you are. Who knows essential? And the thing is
3: also... As long remember, as Ben
1: gets the plus fours, it doesn't matter how that, much you perform.
0: That's it, is what What's really annoying is they've both accepted that's the culture of the team, which is we're just going to make sure Ben ends up with as many plus fours as possible. And the thing is, every time both of them come in, they've, they've started off really kind of civilised and played nicely and then a couple of games in they're both on the boys team and suddenly i'm being plus forward again so uh you know,
1: i committed to that role and then plus four started coming my way and they weren't from then so then you know i don't know how that goes
0: yeah yeah you've got to watch them they're sneaky those boys but actually if we take this back to the very beginning how did you obviously both get involved in fencing and what was the first kind of step through the door into the world of fencing?
1: So I actually started with bridge fencing as part of a university placement in 2014. They just said we need some sports massage for one day. And guys, if you do a really good job, maybe they might have us back. (laughs) So I turned up to Lee Valley on that day. Uh, My hand was one of the first to go up in the class. So I just thought this is an opportunity to be involved with an Olympic sport regardless of you know what I know about it and um, anything else so I managed to get onto that and actually from that day it turned into a regular weekly therapy service Um, out of the three people that turned up on the day um, the first day I was the only one that said you know I'll commit to this I'll carry on Um, and it was unpaid for quite a while but I just loved stepping into Lee Valley. Every time I got there, I just thought, wow, I'm really around, like, world-class athletes. You know, it wasn't just fencing that was there at the time. We used Mm. to see the British athletics guys running around. And, you know, I would walk into the physio room and people like Adam Jamili being treated. Um, There were some big names walking around that centre, a lot of Paralympians as well. And for me, that was just quite impressive as a mere human just trying to get my (laughs) eye on how it is to be superhuman. Um, And then from there, I just um, kept going really. I got a master's in sports rehabilitation. We moved into the Leon Paul Center as a world-class program. I was really fortunate to be surrounded by um, great therapists and a great sports science team while we had the program also. So I learned a lot from them. You know, people in sports psychology, sports nutritionists, we had two performance analysts. Um, and even like the management were in the office so that's a real great thing about the sport which I've really enjoyed is that we've had everyone basically in the same place if you if you need to talk to the performance director they're next door equally if you need to speak to uh, the SNC coach they're there too so I learned a lot and developed my role a lot through through their help um, and then I kind of just never left And through the years, this kind of funding's come and gone. I've just, you know, I've been available. I've said I can help out wherever I can help and just try to be as flexible as possible to stay with the athletes. And I feel really fortunate that, you know, the likes of you, Ben, we've now, you know, been working together since that time in 2014. And it's definitely helped develop me as a physio. And it's been really great to be able to see you and the rest of the teams and athletes develop over the years. And I've been really supported by British Fencing as well. Even, you know, when there's not funding, we do our best and we we adapt. When there is funding, great. I'm being paid to do what I love. Um, but for me it's it's more than just that paycheck to be involved in in your sport and to be involved at that that high performance level. Um and then yeah, Sonia came on board last year.
2: Yeah, for me it was uh, um as simple as uh, you know, Murray asking me I need some help, do you want to be on board? And just jumping as quick as I could to the offer. Um, Cause I, I love um, high performance sport. Uh, um, I love working in that environment, having been an athlete basically all my life. Uh, I did my education uh, for sports therapy, didn't go through like a university channel uh, which has connections with team. Um, it was a private cur- course, which means you don't get that chance to get involved uh, um, straight away within sport teams. Uh, so I, went, I was lucky um, to start working in private practice with uh, a really experienced uh, a physiotherapist who so has been to many Olympics uh, um, and many university games uh, and Namie has been there as a therapist uh, and learning a lot from him. Um, uh, Gary uh from ATZ in London, um, and at the time he was uh, uh, the lead physio for British diving, so I got involved into high performance sports through him, uh, working with the guys based at the aquatic centre in, uh, in London, and at the meantime I uh, was working with a rugby team as a lead therapist, and then I was seeing a lot of individual athletes from mainly strength sports, uh, uh, but some athletics uh, um, guys as well in private practice, and that's how I got involved um, with performing athletes. And then joined Maria.
1: Part of that process, you know, we did have other people applying for the role, and from the objective point of view, there was just no one as good <laughs> as yeah. Sonia. Um, there were, you know, it was Thank it was you. a vast, vast difference mm-hmm. in skill level ability and I guess it's just an added bonus that we've worked together before and we we know we work really well and really good communication so all those kind of soft skills I knew were perfect and also I've been around her technically to know that should be a perfect fit for fencing so it's not as easy as just saying you know you could look at it on the surface and say okay well you know they've worked together that it makes sense that they'll just you know stick with each other but I always try and look at things objectively Mm. you know if Sonia if I didn't think Sonia would fit in with fencing but maybe she would fit in with another high performance sport I would definitely encourage that but it just so happened that it all worked out yeah I really feel like we've got you know a good world-class therapist in Sonia so let's not let that go.
3: Marie you mentioned that You've been on the scene now for a few years. I think in 2014 you said it's when you uh, got involved. Does that mean that you were part of Rio 2016 and the games?
1: Yeah. So at that time I was the sports. I was the sports soft tissue therapist. So I've kind of gone through a development up to becoming a physio. Um, we had two other physiotherapists um, around at that time. We had Sophie Weaver. She's now with the Great Britain men's hockey team as a lead lead physio and Sarah Wilco as we like to call her um Good old they, they have been a massive um input on me as a therapist but yeah it was Sophie who went to Rio with mm-hmm. the men's foil team and rightly so she's an amazing physio and the fact that she's with the men's hockey team now screams you know at how how well she's because they're doing
0: great the men's hockey team they're flying aren't they
1: yeah they're really rebuilding and they're looking really great for tokyo keep a good eye on them uh hockey's yeah. my main sport as an athlete as well so i like to look at them and i also funnily enough knew sophie through uh working at england badminton so i've been working within england bad badminton since 2015 and she she was just leaving badminton to come to fencing when i um, started working with england badminton so it was quite a nice um transfer for her i guess because we had we we'd we'd had a little time working together and also she could pass on the stuff she knew about badminton to me and i could pass on the stuff i knew about fencing (laughs) um so i think that was Quite useful, but yeah. Uh, for Rio 2016, I was watching at home and had all of all of the fencing on the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: and actually, here we've we've mentioned quite a few different sports that you've both been involved in, um, which is a huge amount of experience, clearly. And also, you've obviously both mentioned you've been involved in sport yourself, S- Sonia. With with the with the powerlifting you do, uh, it's a little bit more than just something you do on the side. I mean, <laughs> you, you're quite successful in the world of powerlifting.
2: Oh. Like to think that, um, never as much as I hope. Um, yeah, it's a sport that I started only a couple of years ago. I started competing here in the UK, which is a super competitive country. Uh, the team, the girls are just amazing, the, the weights they're lifting. And then um, I'm originally from Italy. I decided to start competing there this year. Um, I had a competition in February, which, um, yeah, I managed to win. Um, I actually have another competition uh, in 15 weeks. So national championships. And then we we'll see where we can get from there.
0: Yeah, fingers crossed. That, that's amazing. And also, Maria, you, you mentioned that you, and, you know, we've spoken about this a lot, haven't we, that you that you played hockey a lot uh, and that you still do when your schedule allows you to.
1: Yeah, so I, I've been playing hockey a long time, um, but... Unfortunately, you know, I had to make some sacrifices to get to where I am and I haven't been able to play the last few seasons. Um, I wanted to, you know, work with international athletes and part of that is travelling at the weekends and, you know, over longer time periods, which means that um, I don't fit in with the hockey season. The fencing season is the same pretty much as the hockey season. But I've made that sacrifice without thinking twice because it's what I love and actually, As a result, I've decided to pick up weightlifting and that's taught me a lot more skills that I can use as a physiotherapist as well. So I do miss the hockey. I do hope to get back at some point. Yeah, for now it's weightlifting. But also, you know, coming from a a sport that's a single limb sport, it's a very like lower limb dominant sport. I feel like the hockey physicality is very similar to fencing, Mm -hmm. which is again why I think I've I've stayed with fencing so long because I can really relate to to some of the movements. I can understand, you know, one arm being stronger than the other, one side <laughs> of your body being yeah, stronger sure. than the other, being able to try and help, you know, alleviate that through a physiotherapy point of view and and just knowing the feeling of what that feels like. I've had to work a lot on my, you know, posture and my my own body um from playing a, a single limb sport for the majority of my life. So you now have
0: to practice what you preach.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's pretty hard, but <laughs> at least I can like tell you athletes what to do uh, instead of having to do it myself most of the time. Now I feel like I'm I'm a pretty balanced athlete these days uh, away from the hockey.
3: So actually, it sounds like there's a similar segue there that most fencers come to at a certain point in their fencing career, which is, I really love this, this is my passion. It doesn't make any money, and you know, there I've got other goals and dreams and things. And you know, some people manage to make. Uh, those crossroads work to a certain degree you know other people kind of uh, you know usually it means if you become a full-time athlete then you're supported in you know financially in other ways and so how did you find moving on from from hockey and not being able to play for a certain amount of time to, to kind of where you are now where obviously you still want to play and you play when you can and you've, you found another sport but what helped that do you think?
1: Yeah I think I think there's definitely a transition period where I was playing uh, playing the hockey season and you know these these opportunities started to come up where i could travel away with a team you know it's a one weekend every few months or so to then that ramping up quite a lot and also just trying to be develop myself as a professional some some weekends i'd be on a rugby pitch doing pitch side uh pitch side physiotherapy to hone in on my skills on trauma and you know that pitch side work is where i see the broken bones the dislocated
2: shoulders oh.
1: the the, yeah. bird, the all that kind of stuff <laughs> ripped, ripped,
3: ripped tears have you ever seen that there was a rugby player in uh was it five nations a couple of years ago he came off the pitch kind of halfway through and most of his ear had been ripped off and he oh, played the game yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: that's horrible of that stuff. So, yeah
1: Part of me was was it was a professional decision in terms of and i I love what I do. part of it was a professional decision to to say, Look, if I want to work at the top, I need to open myself to all the experiences of injuries, what how do I react in that situation, what would I do? and then I can bring that back into the fencing realm where actually fortunately, we don't work in such a high. High risk, high contact sport, despite it being combat sport, that I know I've got the skills to tap into if I need to. Whereas if I just come off, you know, the hockey field straight into international, you know, fencing and standing on the side of the piece, I wouldn't want to stand there thinking, oh my God, what happens if this happens? Or what happens if someone goes down and they get concussed? You know, all these kind of little scenarios that I always have in my head buzzing around every time I'm standing any competition, but that experience that I took myself out of my, you know, my own sport to play hockey to go and gain these experiences makes me ground myself as a therapist. There was definitely part of me that probably got to the point with hockey where I was really enjoying it. I potentially probably wasn't going to get much better. And also I'd got to the point where as much as I love the social aspect, I'd probably got a bit burnt out with the politics of the selections and you know it it does get quite tiring sometimes when you're in a sport for a long time um and there were some some seasons we had amazing coaches and I loved working with the coaches they had a really high performance um mindset you know we weren't necessarily the GB team but for me that was really important that you have a coach that really wants to develop you physically and develop your game. And then, you know, another season that coach would leave and we'd have another one that wasn't quite the same. Um, so I, w- I would find that quite difficult um because my mindset is so so much in high performance and trying to be as best as I can, even if I'm a recreational <laughs> hockey player. Um, but yeah, I felt like that's what I could bring in to the weightlifting. Like I'm in control of my own performance, I can get better at it, um, and I can train when I want rather than have to turn up to a team training. So I kind of have gone from a team sport where you have the commitment to an individual sport where it's all on you, but it's flexible. Um, so all of that definitely played a part.
0: I think it's quite uh, interesting when you talk about having, you know, seen some, some trauma stuff as well. And there's a great photo of you and I at the European championships where I'm sitting there going, I've been hit on a finger. I've got a boo-boo, <laughs> and, you know, and there's poor rugby players walking off the pitch with an ear missing. So I, I, yeah, I fully, I fully commend all of your experience, but then you've uh, you have got some delicate athletes sometimes moaning about the small things. Um, and, and it's, it's, you know, there's a whole bank of experience there and, and actually from what you've seen in fencing, and this is going to kind of be a three-part question, Sonia, let, let's kind of see your take on it to start with. So, how is fencing a different different from from any other sport that you've that you've worked in? Uh, what kind of injuries do you see, and and, and are they very preventable?
2: Oh yeah, that's, uh, Three that's part a three-part question. Long there one. you go, go. <laughs> <laughs> um... How is it different? Um, It's really hard to say, to be honest. Uh, I think it's an individual sport. Even when you are in the team event, uh, um, the individual athletes still play a big role. Um, So I... I actually feel that in that sense, it's similar to other sports I worked with in the past, for example, diving, um, where you need to be able to relate to the person that you have in front. Uh, um, everybody is different, everybody has different needs, uh, and everybody reacts really different to competitions and different stages of competitions. Uh, so pool versus the des, the athletes can be quite different in their approach. Uh, and then um, I've worked with both teams as well. You, know, you have Sabre athletes, Foil athletes. They can, be, um, they can be different in their approach to the competition. Um, so it's just the nature of individual sport. You need to take into consideration that you're dealing with a person. Mm-hmm. And some of them really like you being present, um, almost directing them so they don't have to think about anything else apart fencing at that moment uh, and you take care of, you know, when they need treatment, when they need to hydrate, when they need to eat, you just tell them. Um, Other athletes are really independent. They don't want you around, they want to be, you know, in their zone and um, you to be there only if they need uh, and and they ask. So yeah, in that respect, I think it has some similarities uh, to other sports I've worked with before. Um, and the difference is just uh, the dynamic of the day. As Maria said, I was kind of thrown in the deep end last year We World Championships. Uh, so we had an amazing result on the foil team and um, I was shocked at how fast-paced the entire day was and how many matches, uh, if you get to the late stages, you have. Um, and that's really challenging and it's something that I think differs from most of other sports where you would have the competition running maybe in a couple of hours. You have your event, you're done. Uh, The only other sport I can think being similar is maybe Eftathlon and Decathlon that have multiple events, uh, Mm -hmm. but then they are over a few days as well. So that is something that I found definitely quite different. Um, and challenging as a therapist because that brings on a whole set of different issues uh, with nutrition, with hydration, uh, um, especially if major championships are in summer. Um, so yeah, that was definitely different from anything else I experienced before. So and exactly. I already forgot the other two parts. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> that's
0: my fault, just throwing so much at you. And what kind of, what kind of injuries have, have you seen, experienced in fencing? And, and are they wholly preventable? Uh, can athletes empower themselves to make sure they are preventable?
2: Yeah, fencing thing is a combat sport. So there's always uh, um, a risk of uh, um, an acute injury during matches. I've been really lucky. I haven't seen anything major happening in the time I've been um, involved with the sport. But I think still the vast majority of injuries are uh, the repetitive strain type of injuries. Um, is a plyometric type of sport. There's a lot of jumping, so um, we know that tendons are never happy with that, mm-hmm. especially you know at the peak of the season. So we see a lot of uh, you know tendinopathies and overuse type of injuries. Uh, um, and I'm sure Maria has a lot more to add, but I think the vast majority of uh, at least niggles, if not the major injuries, are preventable. We are really good uh, strength and conditioning program. Uh, Uh, with good conditioning, with a good plan throughout the season on uh, how much to load and deload. And then uh, mobility and recovery as well play a huge part.
0: And and Maria, what about you? How about the kind of injuries that you've seen within fencing? And and, and are there there any specific ones that you see? And and, are they preventable? Are they manageable as well?
1: Yeah, so definitely over the years we've definitely been able to analyze a lot of the data and my own experience along with other physiotherapists experiences that we see quite a lot. Like Sonia said, knee tendinopathies tend to be quite a big one. You're always going through that front foot a lot um, and through that knee. So that's absorbing the shock from uh, effectively a metal piece of grounding, which Mm. It's not as nice as a springboard in gymnastics, let's say. Mm. So that's definitely something that we can definitely help prevent to a point, but it will depend on the amount of load you're putting through there and just bearing in mind you're, you're running up and down metal. Um, so we can definitely try and mitigate that over time. It just might be something that does occur just naturally with the body. Unfortunately, the more we do sport at an intense level, the more we are more prone to this kind of thing. And if you ask any athlete on the Olympic stage, I'm pretty sure you will not find one single athlete that cannot tell you about an injury that they've had more likely multiple injuries that they've had to deal with. And actually, it's just part and parcel of getting to that stage and that, that level in, in high performance sport. Outside of the knees, I'd say we see a lot of ankles, a lot of rolled ankles, lots of lateral ankle sprains. Probably comes from you're going up and down the piece and not necessarily doing much um, agility work as such. So when you do have to step outside of that piece, Sometimes the ankles um, get a bit of a shock and that's when they roll. And then also the forearm is a massive area that I've been looking into um, the last few years. especially. We've just done, done a lot of work years.
0: on that recently ourselves, haven't we? With, I've had a small yeah. forearm injury and we've done a lot of work there.
1: Yeah, and again, we can kind of class that into some tendinopathy um, realm of overuse but more recently we're looking at it from a recovery aspect nutritional aspect how much is rest and recovery playing a part how much is it down to your grip strength you know if your grip strength isn't strong enough over the period of you know a competition to get through pools and then through the d's the next day and into the finals that actually could be something that we can manage and prevent from being more conditioned in those forearm muscles through doing strength and conditioning, through doing grip strength exercises, and just matching the load with your fencing load. Because obviously, every time you're doing any weapon work, any sparring or lessons, you're doing grip, you're using your forearm muscles, you're using your shoulder. Um, And then it's for us to go back and say, okay, well, is it a weakness coming from your shoulder? So your forearm has to do all the work? Or is it a weakness in your grip? meaning that the load through your forearm is, is, is heavy. There's like lots of different areas that we can look at. The problem is not usually the be all and end all as we find in therapy and with um, injuries that your whole body is connected. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think we can forget this as athletes as therapists. We can look at the knees and say, oh, it's a knee problem. And actually, is it coming from your ankle? Is it coming from your hip? Is it your posture, your forearm? Is it because actually your shoulder isn't conditioned enough or you're too, you know, sometimes even we've had, um, when someone changes masks and the mask is heavier, kit plays a massive part in fencing. If someone changes a piece of kit, a mask, and then they're getting neck problems or a weapon gets heavier, that's all stuff we have to mitigate as athletes and therapists, not just your physical being. Definitely as much conditioning as we can get around getting a good loading program and just having professional help is really important when, when you do have these niggles.
0: That's really interesting to know. that There's obviously quite a lot of uh, tenor load that we're talking about there. And But it, it sounds like a lot of this is actually quite preventable and, and manageable. Obviously, you do need a kind of support team around you to help help manage that, and, and, and which you guys do such a fantastic job of. But in terms of empowering the athlete to kind of look at staying injury-free, obviously a lot of people have spent the last three months in lockdown away from kind of the gyms they're used to and the training environments they're used to i'm sure you know like chris and i have been trying to stay as busy and and working out as we can what are kind of the main things that you would say to an athlete right now in lockdown to kind of look after their body to stay injury free and and what advice would you give to an athlete coming out of lockdown and their whole return to fencing so they didn't go and cause themselves a nasty injury
1: in terms of lockdown the main um, things I've been trying to promote from a physiotherapy point of view and a physical point of view is just firstly just try and keep active as much as you can and try and replicate you know the way you fence in any physical movements just keep your brain engaged as well the best thing is to ask professionals to help plan a physical program um, it's always good to have an outside opinion and to have someone that you're accountable to Uh, I always find this good motivation. So whether it's just one of your friends or another athlete, just asking them to say, can you make me a circuit for tomorrow? Or can you can you make me a weekly plan? And you don't have to be you don't have to have, you know, the world's best knowledge about exercise programming to do that. You know, it could be a minute of star jumps, a minute plank, a minute of split squats and do that for 20 minutes it's coming from someone else so if you don't do it and they ask you how how did how did it go i always find that if you didn't do it you probably feel a a bit disappointed in yourself maybe so for me i I personally i'd always like to be accountable to someone i know as an individual athlete there are obviously times when you have to be accountable to yourself so do plan be you know plan a routine is, is really important and um, outside of lockdown my advice would always be consistent with your training consistency is is what makes world champions at the end of the day that's you know James Cracknell and the the rowing boys always one of their mantras is you don't have to be you don't have to be the best every day but you have to be the best at being consistent and that's what will, will get you there ahead of other people also just building prehab into your routine so just making sure that You're hitting the areas in your body that you know are vulnerable um, and don't ignore them. This is a perfect time to be working on them Um, and periodize your trainings. you can train hard, you know, some days and some weeks, but also take the rest and recovery weeks when they're needed, because that's actually where you get the most adaptation. And ultimately, just listen, listen to your body Um, at this time. It will tell you if it wants to work hard. It will tell you if it really needs to rest and, and recover and sleep and eat. Um, and just, yeah, find people that that can help motivate you, people that you can be accountable to. Um, and then you're on a journey with someone else and not just yourself, which sometimes helps.
0: Having been on the receiving end of uh, one of uh, Maria's programs recently, um, maybe don't be accountable to her because she'll she'll, she'll, <laughs> she'll, br- she'll brutalize you. Um, no, I'm joking. It was, it was a fantastic program. There's a couple more questions that I, I'd like to ask but I want to I see if we can do some some like rapid-fire things, kind of put you under pressure a little bit, not too much, although you've certainly been used to it being around the uh, the British Fencing squads. What is the most unexpected thing you've experienced in your career to date?
1: I've got multiple, but I think the main one that comes to mind is being in the middle of the California desert with two British fences and the team manager. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I don't that's... think any of us uh, expected that situation, but that's what I love about sport. It prepares you for anything and... I think we adapt to change very well in our team. Uh, it's something that we're very world-class at and we've definitely built <laughs> over the last few years.
0: Yeah, that was, uh, that was definitely an unexpected moment. I didn't expect to be watching uh, the sun going down in, in Joshua Tree uh, National Park uh, when lockdown happened, but it was it was, uh, it was was a lot of fun. Um, and
1: I, I would say that was unexpected because at that time we were supposed to be competing at the last Olympic qualification event, so it wasn't just... It uh, wasn't a holiday. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was just... <laughs> completely unexpected
0: when when the world goes into lockdown and you're told to isolate we took it as seriously as possible so it we went to the middle of a desert before getting our, our return flight home instead of competing unfortunately but uh, yeah as you say it prepares you for those kind of things sonia have you got any, anything that jumps to mind at all anything that's really kind of or, or was it just having to be uh, to play play uno while you're completely jet-lagged in shanghai for the first time
2: <laughs> yeah probably and <laughs> trying to figure out the rules uh, or the <laughs> <laughs> Boy, guys' will, so.
0: <laughs> that's very true being trained in the deep end
3: best prehab exercises like two or three
1: definitely something with balance so like single leg romanian deadlift yeah
3: it's a good one for true.
1: fencing anything for the shoulder so some theraband uh kind of daily exercises just get your capacity there which should help your forearm in turn so you've also got some grip strength and then I would also just say something like skipping um, or anything that's got a bit of a plyometric element to help with your tendon loading over time. Uh, there'd be my three for now. I haven't thought about that at all. So, loads
0: of other ones? <laughs> Is there anything from the for the same I, boys that, that works really well?
2: Um, in general, with any athlete, I love groundwork because people are not used to be. Um, on all fours or on the ground uh, and you can challenge them. Uh, uh, with really simple exercises uh, um, and they won't expect that. So any type of uh, um, crawling or even just a quadruped hold with knees off the ground and you start seeing people shaking after 10 seconds where it really shouldn't happen. Um, and in the same position we can, you know, work shoulders uh, um, and then I'm a big fan uh, um of uh, um some stability work through the core laying on your back and then moving legs independently um which always gets really good results so i would say those are the three staples for me
0: nice nice and and actually you are both big sports fans um and, and as are chris and i actually um what is uh, maria well let's start with you what's your greatest sporting moment of all time
1: Oh, this is so hard. I've got like a so top many, five. I know. Can I give you a top five? <laughs> give,
0: go, give us a top five. Give us a top
1: five. Okay. So I would definitely say, um, as a hockey player, seeing the GB women's team win an Olympic gold medal in Rio 2016, nice. that is something that's just when you've followed spooky. a sport for so long and you think it might be impossible, but they really showed that anything is possible beating your world-class Dutch team on penalties, seeing Maddie Hinch, <laughs> the goalie, just be an absolute hero. Nice. Um, then I'd say definitely walking into the Commonwealth Games opening ceremony, yep. into this dark, stand, you know, stadium where you can't see anyone, but you're in the middle of it all. You're in the middle of Team England, walking around um, with, with the team. That was amazing. Um, and then I definitely have to go with you know, some closer to home, seeing Marcus Ellis and Chris Langridge win bronze at Rio in badminton in the men's doubles. Again, just seeing their journey was amazing. And then, of course, seeing, you know, James Davis become European champion, Richard and Marcus becoming world silver medalists. For me, there's nothing like seeing the athletes that you work with be successful on the world stage, especially when you see what they've gone through. So, yeah, for me, those ones uh, are in the top five.
0: Yeah, they're a great top five. And Sonia, anything for you that jumps out in in the in history, in Olympics, in World Champs, European Champs, fencing or anything else?
2: To Maria, it's really hard to pinpoint an event and I think um, what really... Um, comes to mind to me is more like personal experiences. So anytime I see figure skating, I used to be a figure skater growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, Anytime I see that, um, especially the Olympics, uh, um, always have like a little tear down my eye. And I just just love watching that. So um, that's definitely one of uh, um, the biggest one. And then I think um, I have other two or three as well, which I know like in international sports, um, one of them is the, the um, synchro uh, platform diving from national championships. Uh, I think would have been uh, 2016, probably. Um, two girls uh, uh, from the London team um, winning uh, their national championship. That was their first national championship win and was uh, extremely um, emotional. And then one of them also... Uh, went on to win bronze at Europeans, which was quite unexpected and the first big medal for her. So being on the side and like watching that live was super emotional. Um, And then one of my teammates, Moya, uh, at uh, English Championships last year, pulled an uh, unofficial deadlift record that was just unbelievable with like the crowd going crazy. Um, and then, well, I can't leave out, uh, um, you know, world championships last year and, uh, you know, sure. being next to the piece when, you know, Marcus won silver um, would always be in the top five for me just because, you know, I was there and I yeah. witnessed Yeah, that. I that's
3: very cool. <laughs> to be sure, for sure, can't be beaten.
0: And I um, love it, the fact that there's a personal experience there as well. Another quick fire question for
3: both of you. Uh, what's your favorite lockdown hobby? <sighs>
1: I'm going to be really boring and have to say training probably it's keeping my head straight and it's going to be outdoors I definitely feel like I've it's been nice to not have that you know you have to go to the gym every day I've been using the outdoors a lot more you know cycling I have bought a blow-up paddle board which has been amazing um getting out on the water and just going for hikes really and seeing more of England so yeah definitely being outdoors
2: hard for me because I had really cool uh, free time, to be honest, in lockdown has been more challenging than normal life. Uh, training is, is what kept me sane. Uh, to be honest, uh, uh, I'm lucky owning a gym. I had access to weightlifting equipment, so I could uh, I could continue training as normal. That um, helped me massively. And then um, just going for walks with my dog.
0: Yeah, I was going to say Gina must fe- feature <laughs> in your life daily. I mean, she's even got her own yeah. Instagram account. I mean, it's uh, exactly. what a, what a queen.
2: She got her Instagram account now because uh, she's the queen of the castle and she's on mine daily because she's living the best life, just tanning under the sun every day.
3: Excellent. <laughs> if you could change anything about fencing in the UK, what would that be?
2: So
1: something we're working hard on um, is building the communication throughout the sport from the club level to the elite level. I honestly think if we can help support the club level athletes, understand what it takes to be the next world champion and how to get there, I think it would be really great. From a sports science point of view, from a management point of view, from being, you know, what is an elite athlete? I always think that we have a responsibility to teach all levels of the sport on how to be better. And hopefully that's something we can promote from the elite level. Um, as well as teach it through any systematic approaches that we're currently developing. Um, and also just lead by example, You know, we've seen two silver world medalists in the last two years, we, we are producing the results. So there isn't any reason why we shouldn't be able to, you know, filter down to, to everyone else, like how, how we can promote junior athletes, club athletes to get to that level. We're always trying to be better than we were yesterday. So I'd hope that each club athlete, junior, coach, and any support staff are also trying to do the same. And I feel like that working together at every level and collaborating with what we're all doing and supporting each other to be better by challenging us and also us all having a growth mindset is going to help every aspect of the sport and, you know, produce multiple world medalists in the future.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's a really good point to touch on that actually we are all in this together and, and, and as, a, as, a, as a pipeline um, of information that goes right down to club level and through and, and kind of information is power. And, and this is exactly what Chris and I hope is the podcast is, is going to do is to kind of spread that information and give people a, a platform that they can use to not only better themselves, but the, the fencing community in the UK in general.
3: Yeah. And actually, so you and I, Ben, come at this from different sides of things because you are very much part of the squad You're at the Leon Paul Centre every day. You get to work with Maria and Sonia and and the other people that are there and based around you. I am not part of that kind of core group um, until a couple of years ago. I wasn't really allowed to go to the Leon Paul Centre and train during the day with the squad. Uh, it might have been a bit longer than that, but you know there was a time definitely when when squad training was more closed off to a smaller group. And so you you know kind of as you mentioned, what we're trying to do is spread that knowledge out a bit further so that. People like me, people further down the rankings, people in Norfolk or you know, or in Scotland that aren't necessarily close to kind of physiotherapists or, or bigger communities of, of uh, and, and get that knowledge. Um, you know, they can they can benefit from all of that. Some things they can do by themselves. Uh, it, you know, if they're keen like and they they're up for learning some stuff. And but it's definitely amazing to be able to empower athletes to look in the right place and move in the right direction
1: yeah definitely. And also you know the athletes I see at the top level, the the successful ones of the top athletes are the ones who are curious. you know they they're very modest with where they're at and they ask questions, they go to the specialists and they ask questions, and that's all part of of building a team as well. If you don't know something, understand that you don't know it, and you know find your weaknesses and make them better because that's how we all improve and I improve as a therapist when an athlete challenges me and asks me well why are we doing that I don't know if we should do that and then I have to go back into my research and say no actually there's evidence to show that this will be really beneficial for you Um, and sometimes it is trial and error but other times you know there's a there's a logical reason and a why behind everything so definitely seek knowledge from anyone and everyone you can and even if it's from people outside fencing because that will help you grow.
3: Ben and I did a quiz a few weeks ago, and there was a quote that came up from Rocky that I really liked. That I think could be really useful, which is, uh, you know, every champion was once a contender that just refused to give up. And I think that kind of applies because, as you say, you keep getting knowledge. It's really easy to see barriers, but if you, if you, you know, the more you gather, you can get through those. Sometimes and I'm a massive fan of a,
1: a sportsman's quote, so. <laughs> We'd well Actually, in
0: there. Chris, are you able to do that in the Rocky voice? Are you able to do that in the <laughs>
3: uh, i don't know who wants to give it a go <laughs> i don't think it's me
0: okay one one last one before uh, we wrap up what's the best piece of uh kit or tracksuit you've ever seen across any sport that you've either just seen at an event had worn been given stolen whatever
1: definitely say I wasn't able to go to the Rio Olympics, but the team that did bought me back some of their kit to, and they gave that to me. So that was really special. It made me feel really very much part of the team, even though I wasn't there in person. So that's always on me, uh, usually when we go to international events. And then, of course, the Commonwealth Games kit is something that I treasure very close to my heart. Being selected for Team England and having you know the T-shirt hanging in my clinic is something that is a real tangible reflection for me of all the time and commitment I've put into not only like building my career but the relationships and sports and the teams I've worked with so yeah that that shiny closing ceremony t-shirt is quite a place in in my office.
0: Excellent and Sonia what about you?
2: I don't really have a favorite uh, um, at the moment as I was saying earlier like messaging with you guys <laughs> but, um, I try to fit in Maria's ones, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's it. My clinic, I uh, um, have uh, um, a T-shirt from Dan's club, just to remind of last year's experience, uh, and, and that's it.
0: But then having said that, Dan loves the kit that your club wears, and he wanted one a, a, of yours, which is because uh, you're based in Elephant and Castle, it's a really cool elephant with a castle, but it, it, it's, the design is really cool, and, and he, he obviously wanted a T-shirt from you because he loves the kit that you guys have.
2: Yes, so we we always try to like create some nice uh, kit that doesn't just have the logo of the gym, but um, having nice designs. We have a a designer that helps us with that. And yeah, so kit has been from our gym has been going out all over the world because people come here visit, get the t-shirts, and then uh, they send us photos uh, being somewhere around the world with our kit, which is quite amazing to see. Absolutely.
0: And that's exactly the way you want it. OK. All right. Nice. And so you both have a clinic. So, so, uh, so Sonia, you're working out of the, the gym that you have in Elephant and Castle. And that can be found on, on Facebook and on Instagram um, as, as well as obviously the web.
2: Yes. Yeah. It's
0: called P10 Fitness. OK, P10 Fitness. And, and, and Maria, you're based out of the Leon Paul Centre with, with your clinic. And again, that can be found on Instagram, Facebook and, and the web.
1: Yeah so if you want to find any of my details you can access my website it's www.thesportsrehabclinic.uk and I'm more than happy to have any emails come through or people to get in touch if they've got any questions or need any physiotherapy help. Guys
0: thank you so much this has been um, such a a, a fun interview and it's been great to kind of get a lot of insights into not only the, the, the huge amount of experience that you both have but also the tireless work you're doing with the athletes and and, and British fencing. And we've, we've learned a lot and I'm hoping anybody listening to this podcast can kind of take away um, that valuable knowledge that you both have and and certainly use it as either motivation or get themselves into a a routine in lockdown as we start to progress towards hopefully returning to fencing in some capacity, they can be doing it safely and and injury free. Thank you both very much. Chris, do you want to tell everybody where this can be found? You can
3: find us on google apple spotify youtube and transistor Uh, make sure to subscribe review and get in touch with any questions leaving reviews uh, lets us know that you're enjoying what you're hearing and you can also let us know what you'd like to hear in the future of course make sure to subscribe to get every episode it just comes to you you don't have to go and find it
0: absolutely and and make sure you follow our twitter account which is at fencedinpodcast and send us messages there and uh, please do get in contact. But that just leaves us to wrap up now. So we'll say thank you very much and uh, goodbye from us. Cheers. Bye.
3: Bye. The Fenced In Podcast has been created in association with J4G Design, your one-stop user experience agency for all things digital. Websites, graphic design, and technical support.